Well, for these last few weeks, we've been working our way through a sermon series called Desert Wisdom. We've, we've been learning about these men and women, the desert mothers and the desert fathers, who in the, the early days of the church fled into the wilderness. They went out into the desert and they, they learned how to seek God in solitude and silence and fasting and prayer. These last few weeks, we've been learning from the wisdom and experiences of these desert mothers and desert fathers. Today, we're going to conclude that sermon series. As we do, I am invite you to open your heart, listen for the voice of God as Celia reads this morning's gospel reading. This morning's scripture reading comes from the gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 40, and verses 44 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with the ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So these last few weeks, we've been hearing a lot about the desert fathers. Today, we are going to hear a story of one of the desert mothers. Today, we're going to hear the story of a woman named Melania. Now, Melania has a fascinating and sometimes tragic story. Now, Melania was born into one of the wealthiest and most powerful families in all of the Roman Empire. Her father was one of the most important officials in all of the Roman Empire, and so Melania was raised with privilege and with wealth. She was raised eating fine food and, and reclining on soft cushions. And Melania knew what her family expected of her, and she knew what, what the emperor and the whole of the Roman Empire expected of her. She knew that as a woman in the Roman Empire, her job was to, to get married and to have children, preferably sons. Every woman in the Roman Empire was expected to get married as soon as possible and to, to have children, preferably sons. And so that's what Melania did. She got married to an up-and-coming politician. She moved into a mansion in the suburbs of Rome. By the age of 22, she had had three children, all of them sons. By every standard of Roman society, she was a success at the age of 22. She had everything that a woman was supposed to want. She was the envy of all of the city of Rome. And then in an instant, suddenly Melania lost everything that truly mattered to her. An illness swept through the city. Her husband and her sons caught the illness and they died. And so suddenly at the age of 22, Melania was a widow. 
And she was still one of the wealthiest and most powerful women in all of the Roman Empire, but she discovered that her position and her fortune didn't give her comfort. They didn't even put a small dent in the grief that she was feeling. And so overwhelmed by grief and sadness, Melania took to wandering the streets of the city in a sort of a daze, hardly knowing where she was or or even who she was. And as she was wandering the streets of the city, that's when Melania discovered these women who were, were living in the city, these women who were unlike any women she had ever met before in her life. Now there in the city of Rome, there were a group of women who were followers of Jesus. And these women had made an intentional decision that they were not going to do what the emperor expected them to do. They were not going to do what all of Roman society expected them to do. They had decided that they were not going to get married and they were not going to have children. Instead, these women lived together in groups and houses all around the city. And they had started a network of churches that met in living rooms all around the city. These women were preachers. These women were apostles. These women were leaders in the Christian faith in the city of Rome. And these women lived lived in a defiant and radical sort of way. Many of these women dressed in men's clothing. Many of them even cut their hair the way that men cut their hair. Some of them even shaved their heads as a way of saying to all of Rome and all of the Roman Empire, we are not going to be told by the emperor or by the Roman Empire what it means to be a woman. We seek to live and serve only only Jesus Christ. And so we, we will proclaim a different gospel, a gospel that says in Christ there is no male and female, a gospel of radical equality in Jesus Christ. That's what these women preached. And their message and their way of living captivated Melania. She had never felt the kind of freedom that these women seemed to feel. Even her wealth and her position in Roman society didn't give her the kind of freedom that these women seemed to have. And so Melania became a follower of Jesus. She converted to Christianity and she left her mansion and she went to live with these women. She traded in her soft cushions for a a simple mat on the floor. And for months, she sought Jesus in a life of simplicity and fasting and prayer with these women. She learned from these women. And as the months went by, the pressure mounted, the pressure from Melania's family, the pressure from the emperor himself for for Melania to get married again, for her to end her period of mourning and to to find another up-and-coming politician to, to get married to, to have more sons for the Roman Empire. And as the pressure mounted, Melania finally made a a desperate sort of a decision. One night in the still of the night, she loaded her entire fortune onto a ship, as much as the ship could carry. And then she set sail. And she went to the land of Egypt, where she had heard about these, these men and these women, these desert mothers and desert fathers who had gone out into the wilderness and who were seeking God in lives of humility and simplicity and fasting and prayer. And Melania went to Egypt and she found the desert mothers and the desert fathers and she sat at their feet and she learned from them. She soaked up their wisdom. For six months, she became one of them. She became one of the desert mothers. And then once again, after six months in the wilderness, suddenly tragedy and disaster sought Melania out. Suddenly after six months in the desert, a a wave of persecution broke out. One of the Roman Empire officials in the city of Alexandria decided that he was going to to do away with the desert mothers and the desert fathers. He decided that they were a nuisance. And so many of the desert mothers and desert fathers were rounded up and they were shipped hundreds of miles away to a sort of a, a prison camp. 
And the plan of this official was that he would isolate the desert mothers and the desert fathers from the people who cared for them, that they would slowly starve to death in this prison camp, and then they wouldn't be a nuisance anymore. When Melania saw what happened to her her new friends, she made another desperate decision. Once again, she loaded all of her fortune onto a ship and she sailed. She sailed to the place where her, her friends, the desert mothers and desert fathers, were being held captive. And when she got there, Melania disguised herself. She put on simple and dirty robes. She disguised herself as a lowly and humble slave girl. And she discovered that in her, in her disguise as a lowly and humble, simple slave girl, she was able to come and go from the prison camp as she pleased. She discovered that nobody looked twice. Most people hardly even noticed this, this humble slave girl coming and going. And so she started smuggling in food to the desert mothers and the desert fathers under her robes. And the official who was in charge of this prison camp, he couldn't understand why the desert, and, the desert mothers and fathers, not only did they not starve to death, but in fact they, they seemed to thrive and flourish there in the prison camp. He couldn't figure out why the plan wasn't working. And then finally, one day, he suddenly realized that this this slave girl had been sneaking in food to the desert mothers and the desert fathers. And when the official figured out what was going on, he had Melania seized by the guards. And he was about to have her beaten and imprisoned herself when suddenly he got the shock of his life. Suddenly, in that moment, Melania stood up straight And she looked the official in the eye and she shook off the guards who were holding onto her arms and she said, I am Melania. I am the daughter of so-and-so. I am the wife of so-and-so. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. She said to this official, she said, I have chosen to humble myself, but don't let these simple robes fool you. I I could elevate myself again in an instant if I wanted to. You have no power over me. You do not have the power to terrify me. Well, when the official realized that he was face-to-face, that he was about to arrest one of the most powerful women in all of the Roman Empire, he had Melania released instantly. And from that point on, Melania was free to do as she pleased. And that's exactly what she did. Over the next several decades, Melania cared for the desert mothers and the desert fathers. By the time she had died several decades later, Melania had given away all of her vast fortune and she had turned that prison camp into one of the world's first monasteries. And by the time she died several decades later, Melania was one of the foremost leaders in the Christian faith. Many people recognized her as a kind of a a living saint. I've been thinking a lot about Melania this week. I've been thinking a lot about that moment when she stood up straight and looked that official in the eye and suddenly used her privilege to protect a bunch of vulnerable people. Now this week I've been thinking a lot about privilege and who has it and how we use it. Now this week there were two big news stories that that involved dynamics of privilege and who has it and how we use it. This week we saw the story of a man named George Floyd, a man who died after police officers put him on the ground and then one officer knelt on his neck for for something like seven minutes as George pleaded for the officer to let him breathe as as he asked the officer if the officer meant to kill him as he died there under the officer's knee as bystanders pleaded for the officers to let George up, to let him breathe. This week we saw the story of George Floyd And we saw the story of a white woman in New York. That very same day, a white woman in New York was out in a park with her dog when a black man asked her to put her dog on a leash as the the park rules required. 
And this white woman became so angry that a black man would tell her what to do that she took out her phone and she called the police. And she falsely reported to the police that there was an African-American man who was threatening her and threatening her dog and and making her feel afraid. And, And this woman had to know what she was doing. She had to know that with her phone call, she was creating a situation in which this, this black man could very well lose his life. She had to know that she was using her privilege as a sort of a weapon. Now this week I've been thinking a lot about privilege and who has it and how we use it. Now this week as I've been thinking about my own privilege, as I've been thinking about the, the privilege that comes from, from my gender and from the color of my skin and from being a, a Christian pastor in America, this week I've been even seeking the wisdom and guidance of Jesus. Earlier this week I started flipping through the pages of the gospel looking for a story, looking for a moment in which Jesus used his privilege to protect vulnerable people. And I have to tell you, it was not easy to find that kind of a story. Because the truth, a truth that we don't stop often enough to remember, the truth is that Jesus was not a person of privilege. Jesus was a Jewish man in the Roman Empire. And Jesus was not a citizen of the Roman Empire. And what that meant is that Roman officials and Roman officers and Roman soldiers could treat Jesus pretty much any way they pleased. And Jesus had no defense, no recourse under the law. The greatest evidence of Jesus' position in society, the the greatest fact we have to point to that, that shows where Jesus stood in the social hierarchy of his day is the way in which Jesus died. And when Jesus died, he was hanging, nailed to a cross. You were not allowed to do that to a Roman citizen. No one was allowed to, to nail a citizen of the Roman Empire to a cross. Now, back in a seminary, I had a a friend, another student, who liked to stir the pot, and sometimes he liked to rile people up by reminding people, as he would often say, that Jesus was black. He would say, never forget, Jesus was a black man. And I never understood what he meant, and so finally, one day, I turned to him and I said, please, tell me what you mean when you say that Jesus is a black man. And so my friend, this other student, he said, listen, he said, here's the thing you need to remember. You need to stop thinking that blackness is all about the color of a person. Skin. He said, blackness is, is as much about privilege and who has it and how they use it as it is about the color of a person's skin. He said, blackness comes down to blackness is all about who is allowed to hang whom on a tree. He said, when Jesus died on the cross, that was nothing more than, than a Roman form of lynching, and that was allowed to happen because Jesus occupied in his time the same place in his society that black men occupy in our society. All this week I've been thinking about privilege and who has it and how we use it. Jesus was not a person of privilege in his society, at least not in the context of the Roman Empire, but that doesn't mean that Jesus had no privilege at all. Jesus had more privilege than other Jewish women and when he was among when he was among other Jews he had a sort of privilege that came from being a, a minor celebrity and a rabbi. Jesus had the kind of privilege that sometimes got him invited to fancy dinner parties. And that's where we find Jesus in today's gospel reading. As we pick up the story of Jesus today, we find that Jesus has been invited to a, a fancy dinner party at the house of a wealthy man named Simon. 
And as Jesus is there at the table, as he's listening to the conversation of the guests at this fancy dinner party, a woman enters the room, a certain kind of woman, a woman who never, never would have had enough privilege to be invited to that sort of a party. And, and as the party is going on, this woman makes her way over to Jesus, and then she, she as quietly and as unobtrusively as she can gets down on her hands and feet, and she opens a bottle of perfume, and she pours the perfume on the feet of Jesus. And this woman is trying so hard to be invisible. She doesn't want anybody to notice her. She is hoping that nobody will notice her, but she just can't help herself. There's something about being that close to Jesus that unlocks something in her heart, and this woman begins to weep, and her tears tears fall on the feet of Jesus and she begins to use her hair to wipe the tears from the feet of Jesus and then she begins to kiss the feet of Jesus and as this woman is sobbing there at the feet of Jesus she begins to create a a sort of a scene people around the table begin to notice her and they begin to shoot hostile glances in her direction and people begin to mutter and murmur about this woman and Jesus can feel that there is violence brewing in the room Jesus can sense that that this woman is about to be dragged bodily out of the room, thrown into the streets, maybe even beaten to teach her a lesson. And before that can happen, Jesus stands up and he turns and he begins to speak to Simon, the host of of this dinner party. Jesus had the kind of privilege that, that when he spoke, other people, other people had to listen And so in this moment, Jesus uses that privilege. He stands up and he looks at Simon and he says to the host of the party, he says, Simon, there's something I'd like to say to you. And Simon says, go ahead, Jesus. And Jesus says, Simon, when I entered your house, you did not offer to wash my feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears. And Jesus said, Simon, when I entered your house, you did not greet me with a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not offer to anoint my head with oil, but this woman has poured out perfume upon my feet. He said, this woman has been forgiven. And forgiveness has taught her how to love. Jesus said, those who don't feel like they need forgiveness will find it very hard indeed to know what love is. Well, you can imagine how Simon and all of the other important and privileged people around the table responded to Jesus in that moment. They became angry. Simon became angry. And instead of grumbling about the woman at Jesus' feet, they began to mutter and grumble about Jesus. They said, who does he think he is to talk to Simon that way? Who does this man think he is to go around forgiving people's sins? They stopped muttering about the woman and they started muttering about Jesus. And of course, that was exactly what Jesus intended In that moment, Jesus placed himself between this woman and the people who were about to do her harm. In that moment, Jesus used his privilege to to draw the hostility of the crowds away from this woman and onto himself. And this week I've been thinking about privilege and who has it and what we do with it. I don't have any simple answers this week. And I don't have any words that are big enough to heal the sadness and fear and brokenness that many of us are feeling. All that I have to share with you this week is a little bit of wisdom that I've learned from Jesus and from the desert mothers. I've learned that those of us who are privileged cannot remain silent. 
In this moment of anxiety, in this moment of hostility and fear, it cannot be only the black members of our church family who are weeping. It cannot be only the black members of our church family who are standing up and saying something is wrong. Privilege is a kind of a power, and God has called us to use every power we have to resist evil and injustice and oppression. And those of us who have the power of privilege are called to stand and called to speak. And to those members of our church family who are hurting most deeply this week, to those who are feeling most afraid, to those who looked in the face of George Floyd and saw the faces of their loved ones, the face they see when they look in the mirror each day, to you, to you I have this gospel. Jesus has stood where you are standing now. Jesus has walked where you are walking now. Jesus is with you in your anger. Jesus is with you in your sadness. Jesus is with you every day, every step of the way. And Jesus will not allow evil and injustice and oppression to stand forever. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to stand as Jesus stood for the woman at his feet. Give us the courage to stand as Melania stood for the desert mothers and the desert fathers. Give us the humility to listen. Give us the wisdom to speak. And God, we pray with all of our hearts for your kingdom to come and make peace in this world. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.